Good to be here today. Do you have your Bibles with you? If you do, most of us know that passage off my heart, but I would like you to open it up, if you can, to Matthew chapter 28, that passage that Connie just read so well for us. And I want to pray, too, as we go into our message. So would we pray again, please? Father, we live in the world that desperately needs to know what the future holds for us. The whole world is in turmoil, and even as we come uh, to this room today, and we have sung these great songs, we realize that um, there are parts of this world that today are on the line in terms of where their future is heading. Lives are at stake. But Father, it has been so since the Garden of Eden that every precious life on this earth needs to come to know you, needs to be reconciled to your heart. And so, Father, as we come to this text and as we're in this room and your glory is here, we pray that you would teach us that we would become today ever more your disciples. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. It is good to be here. One of the things that really struck me uh, in this week of looking intensely at the situation of the world is that really everything that we see going on, and whether it's Libya or whether it's one of the other countries, um, and I just got back from Congo a couple months ago, and, and that's starting to, to change there too, but it's this whole question of two words, and one, the first word is authority, and the second one is power. I was listening to Gaddafi, actually, this morning, talking about his authority and his power, and we all realize, don't we, that he has diminishing authority and diminishing power. And we are very much like him in many ways as we go through our world together without Jesus is that we face this all the time. We, we face this, this knowledge deep within ourselves that the question of authority and power in our life is one that is diminishing and powerless without Christ. Many religions of the world, and it's been my privilege to see a lot of it and to teach a lot of it, is all about power and authority. Who gets to call the shots in your life and my life? Who gets to tell us where to stay and where to go, as Connie prayed? That we might have the internal fortitude, the faith, but also the obedience to listen to the voice of God and to actually do it. One of the things about war that we have seen from the very beginning of time is what it does to innocent people. And people who get caught up in the middle of war are often the ones whose story we like to listen to because they are the most tragic of all stories. But some of these stories are full of triumph and hope. I want to share one today. Years ago, um, when... We think about the Second World War in the Western part of the world as being the European War, the Great European War, but at that same time, there was a Great Asian War as well. And Japan, at that time, was moving into different countries, and one of those countries was China. And so from the end of the 30s, right through until the end of the war, they captured China, in a sense, and subjugated the people and the people in China. Many people fled, many people died. John Lockhart, along with several of his uh, China Inland Mission, missionaries that Lois and I served with were, for more than 23 years, 
was one of those young men in China. And when the Japanese came in, they, uh, they interned a lot of the men. And John tells the story. John's from London, Ontario. Now he's from resident in heaven. But, but here's the story that he tells. He told me one day, he said, you know, morning by morning, we would be taken, three or four of us at a time, and from our interrogation cells, and we'd be taken into this council chamber, and there would be like four or five or six different generals, all with their stuff on, and, and uh, we would be dragged up before them, and they would ask us one question every morning. And the question was simply this, by whose authority are you in this country? And of course, they were missionaries. And so... The Japanese were wondering, you know, are you here as imperialist? Are you here as CIA? Are you here from Britain? Are you here from, are you working for the Chinese government? Are you, you know, all these things that they were trying to accuse them of. And they kept saying, no, no, we're, you know, we're with the, we're missionaries. And they could not get a breakthrough. The weeks passed, morning by morning, as they were breaking down, as the increasing frustration on the part of the Japanese officials who wanted to understand, what are these foreign guys doing here? Finally, one morning, they asked the question, and John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reached in his pocket, pulled out his little tiny New Testament, opened it up to the passage that we read this morning. And he didn't read it. He simply said he gave it to the man in charge who gave it to the generals, and one by one, they passed it up and down the line, and they began to read it. And then they read it again. Finally, it went to the center man who was in charge of everything, and he said, now we know by whose authority you're in China. Now leave. And they were taken out of the country. The authority of Jesus Christ is the authority by which we live and the authority by which we move. The Great Commission is all about this one word, authority. And Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. From who? From the Father. From the Father. It had been just as it was from the very beginning. Jesus exercising the authority of God. Whenever he was asked a question on authority, he was asked a great deal about that, remember? By whose authority? By whose authority? Because he spoke as one having authority, which was different than the other rabbis. And so they would say, by whose authority? And at first he didn't tell them, but then later on he said, by the Father's authority. But Jesus lived the authority. That's why he was such, such a nuisance to the people around him, you see, because they had no authority but their own. And so whenever Jesus would teach, this question would come up on authority. And it comes up for us today, sitting right here in this room. Jesus has both the right and the privilege, as the third person of the Trinity, the incarnation of God himself, the God who is with us, to have that authority. But he said, it's the Father. In fact, he said, the words I speak are not my words, but say it with me. The words I hear my Father speaking. The things that you see me do are not my works, but the works I do are the things I see my Father doing, and I am under his authority. The question for us today, as you well know, Bible students, is that whose authority are we under? And there can only be one. That's the thing about Christianity. There can only be one authority. Because within that authority, just as it was with John Lockhart, there is release. And there is true understanding. They always ask the question, by whose authority? By whose authority?
This passage for us is a universal language question. In fact, if you study the language, and I'm sure you will if, if you're here long enough in this school to do some of that, you'll find out that this is a hinge passage for all of history. Something significantly changes. It's like a big bang theory of Christianity, of the history of the world. Because something has changed, something has stayed the same, but something has changed, and I'm going to call it here universalism. Because that's exactly what it is. Following this passage, and because of this declaration, we see that there's a universal scope in the effectiveness of the gospel. We see there's a universalism in the sense of how the, the scope of it and the breadth of it, how far reaching it's going to be. So Matthew 28, 18 to 20 testifies to this universality. And I'm not talking about everybody being saved for those who are just waking up to the word universe here. But the universality of Jesus, you see. His place in the cosmos in creation. And so we have anyone who studies this passage can see that there are four alls here. And this is a standard way of looking at this text, but it's so important for us. But the first all is the most important one. And like many times writing in Scripture, the first one is then is, is, uh, precedes the other three. It actually gives scope to the other three, and that's what this does. It gives body to it. All authority in heaven and on earth. See, it's truly universal. What makes the difference? Well, the context of the story this is a resurrection appearance. Jesus has died for the sins of the world. And he has become alive again by the power of the Spirit. God has done it. And so as Christ was limited by his own design during his earthly walk, so now because of the resurrection, his power, his presence, his glory, his eminence, his mission becomes universal in every dimension. And how important this is. Do you have your Bibles? I've asked you that twice, haven't I? I want to make sure you do. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Just listen as I read. He prays that our eyes might, of our heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then he says this in verse 19. Look at it. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and when he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Paul's just running on here. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You see, Paul deeply understands what the resurrection did. That Christ has been unleashed in the world. You know what I'm saying? He has been unleashed. The power of the spirit of the resurrection has been unleashed. And it's for everyone. It's for everyone. And Matthew is very clear. The, the whole of Matthew is about the kingdom of God. Amen. But when he talks about it, he talks about the authority of Christ in the kingdom of God. The authority that he had before he ever came to earth. The authority that he exerted many times as he was in the flesh, but limited in scope and direction and time. 
Now, no limits left. Now it's all about Christ in the world. And this doesn't just shake the foundations of the earth. What it really does, it shakes the foundations of the spiritual forces. Margaret Clarkson uh, lived her life in Toronto when she wasn't a missionary. And she was very closely connected to the mission that Lois and I served with. And, and it was a pleasure to meet her from time to time. But she wrote that hymn, So Send I You. So send I you. Did, you. did you read through that? Were you not depressed? Like, Margaret, get a life here, you know, this kind of, you got no joy here. You got to have joy. Oh, man, everything's taken away. You know, your life's going to be crippled. You're, you're going to lose everything. And then at the end of it, you're going to die. <laughs> it's like the saddest story in the world. It's the most glorious story in the world. Because you see, the other is true of everyone without Christ anyway. It's all going to go. Margaret says, when you know the authority of Jesus Christ in your life, through faith and grace, you will be obedient to every command. And when she sends you to go, or when he sends you to go, you'll go. And when he tells you to stay, you'll stay. And what he tells you to do, you're going to do. And even though it's going to be tough, you're going to be blessed beyond all description. But why does she say the words? It's very simple, you see. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, the rulers, and the wicked powers in the heavenly places. And that is why God has placed Christ over rule everything, you see, because we don't need to break the backs of governments of this world. We need to break the back of the spiritual darkness in which we all live, first individually and then corporately and then nationwide so that people can come to know Christ. That's what we fight against. That's what he calls us to do. So we need to be careful. How do we live in this world? John Stott says this. He says it very well. Let me read it for you. The fundamental basis of all Christian missionary enterprise is the universal authority of Jesus Christ in heaven and on earth, taken right out of this passage. Stott goes on to say this. If the authority of Jesus were circumscribed, limited, bounded on this earth, if he were but one of many religious teachers, one of many Jewish prophets, if he was just one of many divine incarnations, we would have no mandate to present him to the nations as the Lord and Savior of the world. If the authority of Jesus were limited in heaven only, if he had not decisively overthrown the principalities and the powers, we might still proclaim him to the nations but we would never be able to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Only because all authority on earth belongs to Christ dare we even go into the nations. And only because all authority in heaven as well do we have any hope of success. We would travel into little tiny villages and places where they had never seen white people. We were the... the we are, I'm old enough to be one of the traditional type pioneer church planters, scared to death, but so excited to do it. And we would go into places and they would, I would take my helmet off. We, I wore helmets for safety. I would take it off and they would see my face and they would run. <laughs> now, lots of people do that, but <laughs> it's because I was white. They knew there were white people. They never expected them to show up on their doorstep. 
But I knew that me being there was not going to be enough. We knew as we went from place to place and place to place and town to town and village to village that unless the Spirit of God were moving there, and we knew He was long before we ever arrived, there would have been a hopeless human endeavor. Oh, we might have got some education done and other things, but we have never had people turning from darkness to light, which they did. No one was more surprised when that happened than me. It's the power of the resurrection. It's the power of the resurrection. So the first all is all-encompassing. It's the all-authority of Christ. And on that basis, Matthew gives us three more very quickly. All nations. Greek students, pantete, ethne, that is all the people groups of this world, 23,527,000, or 23,482, or whatever it is. Lots of people groups all over this world. Lots of them represented right here. They all need to hear the gospel, don't they? You can say amen. They do. And under that authority, Jesus says this, I was, I was in Palestine, and now you're going to go to the ends of the world. When did this begin? It began Genesis 3, 15. And Genesis 1 to 11, before the promise to Abraham, God gave the promises to the nations. And he continues to do so all the way through until the book of Revelations. Every knee shall bow. What is the injunction? It's a very simple one. There is only one imperative in this entire thing. Now, there's a bit of argument about this, but let's settle with this one. There's only really one command, and that's to make disciples. That's the only real assertive imperative. Make disciples. What's a disciple class? It's one who attaches themselves to a person, to a body of knowledge. They learn it. They begin to follow it. They begin to obey it. And then they stay with it. That's the mark of the disciple. It's the mark of the disciple. I saw it in Thailand when people were committing themselves as disciples to specialized teachers of Buddhism. And they would gather around them and they would walk with them and they would do all the things that we could imagine Jesus had did. Except for one thing. Only Jesus, when he says, go and make disciples, can he actually take that person and make them into a disciple of his by his own attraction. We are but proclaimers. We're leaders of others, but it's Jesus that changes the heart. Now there's a great deal of pressure against that simple message. There's a great deal of pressure against the sole authority of Jesus. I understand that. But if we lose it, we'll lose the assurance that God is going to work, because here we have it. Let me give you some statistics about the nations and about disciples. In Nepal, where you can go to jail for seven years without a trial if you become a Christian still, that's true, it started in 1990. In 1970, 15,000 believers. As of the year 2000, half a million believers. In the face of spiritual oppression, they do that. Vietnam, 1970, was about 150,000 believers. 1990, about 600. Year 2000, it crossed the million mark. Cuba, 1988, about 80,000 believers. In the year 2000, about a million, roughly 10% of the population of Cuba says, I want to follow Jesus. Now, how committed they are, I don't know. But what a change in a place where the spiritual oppression, the dark forces of this age are all around them. And here they go, China. 
where it's been my privilege to be there a few times. 1950 was about a million by the Cultural Revolution. That was cut in half to 500,000, or 500, 500,000, sorry. And then, my math is not great today. And by the year 2000, we estimated it was somewhere between 80 to 100 million. Who really knows? So going from half a million to almost 100, or uh, I'm sorry, half a million people to over 80 to 100 million people. It's incredible. And you know what, what the power is? The power is not of persuasion. The power is not of imperialism, although that's been tried. The power is of the regenerating spirit of Christ. What does he say to his disciples? You need to learn all things. Take up your cross and learn from me and follow me, and I will make you my disciples. But the last is the all-consuming. Because of his authority in your life and my life, when we follow him as disciples, he gives us the privilege of making other disciples for him and with him. And he said, I will be with you. Like I was on the lake in the storm, disciples, like I was with you day and night, both physically and supernaturally, I am now going to be with you forever until the very end of the age. You know what he's saying here? He's saying you cannot lose if you stay under my authority and my power because my yoke is light. Winston Churchill, in his final address to the nation of Great Britain as an old, frail man, stood up and he stood behind that podium with the eyes of the world listening to him, this man who had led Britain during the war. And you know what he said? His final speech, after dead silence for a long time, he mustered up enough strength to say this, crippled in body, never give up. <laughs> and he said, never give up. And then after a pause, he said, never give up. And he sat down. And the people, because of his life that he had lived, understood the message. And Jesus, because of his life and who he is, he says to us, you are my disciples. Never give up because you are mine. And I'm with you forever. Can we stand together as I give benediction? Father, today we stand before you. Uh, each heart, each life different, I understand that. But in our own way, we are saying to you by standing on our feet today, we are your disciples, so Lord Jesus, fill us with the power of the resurrection. Give us eyes to see, hearts that will be quick to obey every word, every command, so that we might bring you glory in this earth and in the age to come forever and ever. And Lord, would you keep us in that power, not in our own strength, but in your power, so that we will never, ever give up. For we ask this in the name of Jesus, for his blessing and all that he has in store for us. Amen.